Hello, everyone. Welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It is September the 15th of 2021. I am Nick, here with Chris, and it is Manga Night. That is Manga Night. Manga Night. Manga Night. Rides for reading. There you go. Remix the song for us. Somebody cut okay. that, put a beat underneath it, just make it the new intro. That's like from a game, isn't it? Isn't it? Uh, it's Elton John, Saturday Night. Oh, okay. If you say so. <laughs> and then I believe Nickelback covered it, which is how I originally <laughs> discovered it. <laughs> On the... <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know. I guess just wait another 30 years and maybe Nickelback will be like more culturally relevant than Elton John. They're coming know. back, Nick. I don't, I don't know how to say this, and it feels like it's in that same vein as like the Star Wars prequels are st- the, the the public perception starting to turn on them. I feel like the Nickelback jokes are are mostly gone now, and it's mostly people being like, you know, a couple of those songs are bangers. I'm not going to say all of them were. Photograph sucks, but you know, a couple of their songs are pretty decent. Yeah, and no band who's who can put out a song that's used as the theme for Monday Night Raw for several years could possibly be bad. <laughs> As I said, they did. They were also the theme to uh, Saturday Night Boxing, I think, was how they because now I'm starting to wonder what the Elton John song, if it was Saturday night or Friday night. Friday night. I'm going to type it in. I'm just going to I have to do this for myself. Saturday night. Yeah, Saturday night. All right. And I think, yeah, then they eventually covered it for like HBO Boxing or something like that. And, uh, you know, it was a little less flary i i don't know how to <laughs> it's a little more grungy but hey all right nick right now gun to I your head talking about definitely gun to your head yes what's the best wrestling theme so- uh, opening song for like a raw or smackdown <sighs> just raw or smackdown yeah that means i can't do coheed and cambria from nxt damn uh of I didn't people keep on saying that like the attitude era theme is good, but because I didn't actually like watch TV during it, I, it always just sounds weird to me. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually going to go with tonight is the night because it's just kind of like cheesy fun. Okay. So. All right. Weirdly, I don't, I mean, awful person nowadays, but I do kind of like beautiful people for SmackDown for some reason. I don't know. I think it's just because I think that's just nostalgia because that's right when I was watching. But I think there's sure. other ones I'm forgetting right now. Wasn't there a Papa Roach song for a little bit? Uh, yes, it was uh, Want to Be Loved. That was it. No, that one sucked. Oh, man. No, thinking about that for a second. I'm like, no, that's not, not a, the one not I was a thinking. Good pick from the Papa Roach discography, honestly. I'll be honest. It's not a ton of great. Look, I was a kid at one point. I was a I was a dumb teenager who was like, last resorts, the song of my wife. Wouldn't have been a good wouldn't have been a good one uh for uh for uh PG <laughs> show, so <laughs> Yeah, no, unfortunately I think uh I had to look it up. Let's see, Raw and SmackDown. For those just joining openings. us, this is the wrestling tangent episode of Weekly Manga Recap, because we have nine chapters to discuss this week, which is so much less yeah. than we have been doing for a long time now. So uh and honestly, we had to fill some. We had to fill some air, you know. 
Hey, you know what it is? There, you know, it's the perpetual demand for content uh, from the internet machine. So we got to pad this out. Uh, but that said, honestly, I'm, I'm thinking about the chapters that we actually do have. And even a couple among the ones that we do have are going to be kind of short to get through. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm looking through them right now. And, and it might have just been beautiful people. I don't, I don't, I, there's there's some I don't remember super hard. Uh, what are you where are you on right now? What are you trying to? Figure I'm just out? trying to remember all the raw and or SmackDown openings. Okay. And I like I'm just I'm looking at a list of them and I'm like a lot of these ones I either don't remember or, or they're garbage, and I can't play any of them because I'm hosting the the, the recording. So if I listen to any of them, boom, everyone has to listen to these crappy theme songs. Also, I actually really like the original raw opening. Uh, the one that's just like, you know, oh, yeah. Well, Jim Johnston stuff is always, yeah, it's pretty classic. It's funky. So, yeah. All right. Well, I guess with all that, we'll move on to talking about manga this week. And with that, we're going to go straight into Undead Unluck because there's no My Hero this week. Yeah, that's right. We, uh, Horikoshi, uh, has, uh, I think an unexpected week off that he had to take, probably health related. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we hope that he is doing well, and uh, we look forward to it returning soon. But yeah, I think that it was at a good point where we can afford to very patiently wait a week and let him get better. Sure thing. All right, so we were talking about Undead Unluck number 78, Get Set, Go! And we get a color page to open it up with, with uh, basically a showdown of all the different members of uh, Union and Under squaring off against each other and apocalypse is even there look at that little shitty book fucking just sitting there with this big dumb smile yeah. i love him it's the kind of two-page spread that you know if you wanted to rep your love for a series you'd be like oh yeah give me that yeah and so oh yeah if i was gonna make uh, a forum based undead unluck role-playing game this would be Absolutely. the banner for the website yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, but it would be like weirdly chopped off yeah so you have to like choose which characters you're like yeah i guess i don't really care about uh I don't really care about uh, Unbreakable. <laughs> I mean, oof, this is rough. I'm trying to even think, how would I cut it? I was going to say, like, right below the ankles of Andy and Billy, but then you're losing Chikar and Latla, which normally I'd be okay with, but Apocalypse is also in there, too, and I kind of want yeah. that little that little scamp in. I think I would just fucking mess with the uh, the scale of the picture so you just compress it real shittily. So, like, yeah. it just doesn't Ra look right. Everyone Ra looks everyone bad. In, yeah. So that they're the background, and then uh, Billy and Andy and Fuko are in the foreground. Yeah, and uh, Untalented Adventures is what we're calling the forum. <laughs> and Because uh, you are talented, but the, it's negating our talent, you know? That's it's, right. It's role player, yeah. Uh, <laughs> your sad backstory is that you tried to sit off on an adventure with your friends, but they all died because of your... <laughs> <laughs> oh no i'm guardian of the I witch just wanted to have a i just wanted to have a hot-blooded youth adventure <laughs> my 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 story was that we started an adventure and then it got canceled very quickly so we all just went home <laughs> uh anyway so last time we got top sad backstory saw him racing out of the city he's he's putting on this suit of armor and we we saw the chikaras basically saying hey you know i have I have faith that my friend will reach the speed of light. And that's where we catch in right here. We get, I assume, a common Rider reference of, like, it the belt a, and the lock. I don't... It is a 2 trillion percent common Rider-inspired okay. design. So Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, and the thing that really gives it away is that he has a scarf. So. Oh, oh, okay. There you go. Uh, and I don't know how to pronounce this because I don't know if it's on ST Tacriizer or on Stratrachia. Like if they had to shift it because it's too long of a word. I assume it's on ST Tacriizer, but I don't even know how to pronounce that word. I'm a dumb. Idiot. I would guess it is that and on ST for unstoppable. Um, yeah. But since this is the first instance, I think, of this particular naming convention for a device, it is a little bit hard to figure out. Yeah. Uh, so he says, get set and go and goes racing off. And we cut back over to Creed and Chikara. Creed basically explains, oh, OK, I see what you're doing. He's going to accelerate while you keep me frozen. And then he's going to hit hypervelocity, which I can't react to. And then he comes in. You don't move. And he delivers a surefire blow. Uh, and Chikara finishes that, but finishes that thought by saying, yes, that'll break all of your equipment. And without your weapons, undecrease won't activate. And Creed cuts him off and is like, yeah, I'll just beat both of you to the punch and fire off a bunch of shit immediately. <laughs> so he fires off a whole bunch of rockets that are not just going through the room, but are also breaking upwards into the tower and interrupting everything else that's kind of going on. So uh, we have a moment where Shen's just like, hey, what's going on down there? And Andy just says, don't worry about it. Just <laughs> believe in those two down there. And we cut over to, to, to Top, who's running across the, the Sea of Japan into China, into England, passing by the Union table. Uh, yeah, which, as, is a fun, which is a funny little detail. Yeah. Yes. And his, his Iron Man armor is just like, now reaching unstoppable range. 20 seconds till armor integrity breakdown. Shut uh, up. Yeah. You're, just, you don't have a body yet. I don't have to be, I don't have to pretend you're an important character yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and as he's passing by the, uh, the round table, he thinks back to when Shakar was there saying obviously before a lot of training stuff no i'll stop you top i'll be able to get you to stop and he say it's like hey i just heard your story that a long time ago you got your friends in an accident and that you're afraid of rain at speed you can't control and that you can't run with all you've got but i will stop you and top's just like yeah scaredy cat like you won't be able to do it uh chikara's like yeah I, right now i can't i really can't but i'm going to get stronger which is why top if you have faith in me once I've matured, I want you to run again at your top speed. And Top shouts out, here it is. This is my top speed. And uh, little Jarvis just like, 200% over unstoppable range. Armor detachment initiated. 10 minus 10 seconds till function shut down. And Top's like, you shut up, stupid robot. I believe whether it's the speed of sound or the speed of light. I know you'll be there to stop me. And that's why. And Rolling around at the speed of sound. Hell yeah. Got places to go. That, gotta follow my rainbow. Which makes a lot of sense because these two characters are canonically gay in my mind. That is just a thing that happened after this chapter. You I was like, what? they feel I, like they are be very good boyfriends for one another. Through so much of my life, I wasted so much time being angry about people who shipped characters like gratuitously. What mm -hmm. to... And now I'm just kind of like, yeah, ship whoever you want. What? What? It's not going to hurt anyone. But honestly, those two pages of them interacting and Chikara constantly holding his hands up like this, like, I'll stop you. I definitely see what people see in this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this. The, by the way, that particular song is a great song to read this chapter to. <laughs> 
Uh, so he basically says, whether it's the speed of light or the speed of sound, I know that you'll be there to stop me. And that's why Jakar shouts out, don't stop, Top. And he just, uh, yeah, he, Top is running through the air at this point with a bunch of missiles flying out at him. And he has a visual again to the racetrack of his friends there saying, you don't stop anymore. And he's like, yeah, sorry, guys. I won't stop anymore. Races into the scene. Andy stops to give him a high five. Hey! He slaps. He fucking annihilates Andy's hand straight off his body. Just see the thumbs up shooting into the air. And uh, he just thinks to himself, I believe, Chikara, that the both of us are the strongest duo around. And then, as you said, comes in with this common Rider kick that seems to destroy all of Creed's equipment and uh, ends the chapter off with... Uh, Top just say, now, till you rescue Fuko, don't you guys dare stop. I believe the implication is not just that this is a freeze frame, but that because he entered Chikara's field of view, he has indeed stopped mm -hmm. there, too. So, I mean, it's a little bit weird because, you know, in manga, there is no motion other than what, yeah. you know, you imagine. <laughs> but... Uh, well, well I, Nick, there's a key thing, and I, I learned this from Boruto. If you don't draw a shit ton of speed lines in the background, I can't uh, yeah. tell what's actually meant to be moving. And there's no speed lines here. No speed lines, so there's no motion. Yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love this chapter. I love this. I, I love it. Now, I fully admit, there is a part of my brain that's like, so Creed should be fucking exploded, right? Like, I don't understand how he has it. Like, this dude ran across the fucking planet. And he got fucking super kicked. I know it was equipment, but still, it's just like explode everywhere. But I fucking every part of this is so cheesy and awesome. I love it. The thing about this last frame that actually occurred to me before even the thought of, oh, right, Chikara stopped him was how easy it is to look at Creed and imagine that the, his expression, because it is hidden under a bunch of shit, mm. but it still kind of looks like he's just going. <laughs> he does look real fucking tired of this shit. Like God, fucking children. <laughs> these two, these two, possibly in love with each other boys are just are just going like, yeah, friendship, and we can do it. We believed in each other. He's like, I fucking hate these two. <laughs> God damn these boys. Did I have to lose to these two? <laughs> these damn boyfriends and their great chemistry together, <laughs> both narratively and power set wise. Ooh. So, yeah, um, it's very good. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a lot of fun. And I do love the little touches in it. I, I think that there is like not a wasted page in yeah. this chapter. Uh, you know, you've you've learned enough about Top that you can get that payoff with him imagining as he's running that his friends are encouraging him. And then there's the absurdly <laughs> over the top high five. That's the best. And I feel like a lesser series would not have thought to do that. And... <laughs> It's so fucking funny. High-fiving his hand so hard off, it's shot across the screen. And also very good use of uh, you know horizontal layouts mm. uh, because there's a lot of stuff. Not really full two-page spreads in this, but a lot of, you know, the action starts in one page and carries on to the next. So it does give you that sense of how Top is moving really quickly. So very well done and uh yeah a nice short little fight that had uh, that had some good character building stuff in it so. uh, yeah i i really i feel like undead and luck has been particularly good at making me care about characters eventually 
Uh, and we joke about it for a while, you know, especially it's like, who gives a shit? What's unfil? What's Phil doing? And fucking, uh, you shit and shit like that. And I know it. In the back of my mind, we're going to get a flashback from those motherfuckers at some point that's going to emotionally destroy me. So, I mm-hmm. like, this is the moment that I'm like, all right, I fucking love Top and anything he shows up in and the rest of the series is awesome. So, like, it's it's just a great sequence. Yeah. This should be a recommendation for Fight of the Year, by the way. For anybody who's listening and wants to add that to the spreadsheet now, just do it because this is a great, uh, great fight. Everyone looked cool on it. Shall we carry on then to Eden Zero? Yeah, let's talk oh, about it, Nick. Boy. Eden that Zero. Very, oh, you know, that threat of fate, you know. That uh yeah. Well let's talk about it. Yeah, let's let's get into that. So Eden Zero, chapter one fifty nine, the strings of unbreakable bonds. And we get Laguna. Unbreakable. Unbreakable. What? Oh, what a great what a great uh transition from Undead Unluck. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, we get a little cover page of Laguna posing for a makeup ad somewhere, and I only recognize that Heart Cruise was the fashion clothing line that Ellie used in Rave Master. Yeah. And I think also might have existed in Fairy Tale, but I, I just remember it from, from Rave Master. So, nice little callback there. I don't think either of those two characters are people we're supposed to know, though. I don't believe so. I believe they're just supposed to be models who were also in this shoot with uh, with Laguna. So last time uh, we- appears to be um, on a call co- on a leash right now. So is one of them on a leash? No, Laguna is. Oh, Laguna. Yeah. Well, I mean, I got make a little bit sexual, you know, that's what perfume does. I think it's a lipstick ad. That's what makeup does. <laughs> it's it enslaves you to itself, to the social norms it then creates for you as you have to use it all the time. This shit got like really insightful all of a sudden. <laughs> From two people with z- almost zero experience in using makeup. Uh, the only times that I've had makeup on me her have been when my when my fiance has put it on my face. So, <laughs> were you also wearing a collar like that, or is that too personal of a question like to that. ask? Oh. <laughs> not not like that. I'm classier than that. Chris. <laughs> I got uh, the- well, I Nick, a nice, you know, furry padding on it. Yeah. <laughs> Nick, tone it down. Serious time now. Oh, Last yeah. time, which is dead. Shiki and Rebecca were too late. Shora is done playing with the toy, which is lifeless corpse lays on the ground. The shining stars have lost a member. The crew of the Eden Zero is never going to reach mother. Because Witch is dead. Wait, no, two pages later, Pino says she's fine. So it's it's all good. Hey, hey, all that was very serious to say nothing of the intense betrayal of the former princess against her group. Which, Mm -hmm. I mean, God, that's got to, like, leave a mark that'll, a scar that'll never heal. Yeah, the the weight, the dramatic weight that is going to come. Kashiki engages with Shura, clashes with him. The dramatic weight of not even being able to really check on Witch until this fight's done until this this clash happens really just like the gravity of the realization of is which well, really gravity. dead yeah the gravity it's gonna have to wait on us we're going to have to wait and endure all of this with a little part in the back of our mind having a little bit of hope but knowing it might not be true because they were just too late oh wait no hold on pino Amelia is like hey wait a which is still alive <laughs> like, okay cool Yep. Uh, and then Rebecca runs up, her skirt rides up, so you can see her underwear. 
And then she picks up a witch and is like, don't worry, we're taking you back to the ship. And uh, I don't know how, but witch's dress has form fit exactly to her butt cheeks so tightly. I can only assume they were painted on at this point that it's not actually clothing. This is my favorite part of the chapter, not for the absurd cheekage of of witch, although, eh, but because Rebecca, who to this point, yeah, she's agile and she kicks stuff, but we never, you know, had great demonstrations of her physical prowess. Just fireman's carries this lady. Yeah, a woman, by the way. Presumably made of some kind of metal, metal, so probably heavier than a normal person would be. So I don't know. Uh, I don't like her face, though. Her face definitely looks like she's trying to hold it a fart or something like that. She's like, oh, well, after, after lifting her like that, yeah. Which <laughs> <laughs> uh, basically is like, no, you have to destroy the all link system first. So it looks like that's what uh, uh, Rebecca might do. Although Pino notes, Mr. Laguna should be nearby. Let's meet up with him. And Shiki's just like, I'm going to crush this guy. And Shora does the awesome villain move of being like, no, you, you're going to get your head crushed. <laughs> it's really lame. I, I, <laughs> this was, okay. I know that you're you're harping on like the, the Pino immediately abolishes any dramatic tension in the first two pages thing. But I was expecting something along those oh, yeah. lines. This all went downhill for me immediately with what Shura did, where, you know, the colossal, apparently somewhat twisted evil version of Shiki literally just does not have a cool evil line. (laughs) (laughs) No, you will be the one whose head is getting crushed. Oh, man. I, I, I don't know. There probably is the bridge group out there who's Dean Eden Zero a bridge, but those, like, some of the lines they write in this series have got to just work for themselves. Like, I'm going to break your head. No, the only person's heads will be broken is going to be yours. It's good stuff. All right, we cut over, and Juna, who at one time had a bomb up her rectum, she might still have it. We don't know. Uh, goes on explaining Prince Shara doesn't know about love. That is what makes him strong. He'll take a life without a moment's hesitation. Just hesitated a moment to say bad line. So don't know if it's 100% on That's your prediction. Point, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, we get it. Uh, and uh, Ajuna just starts choking Laguna. Or Ajuna, sorry. Their names are very similar. Uh, Ajuna starts choking Laguna. And we get a silhouette of his head popping off his body. Slice. Uh, and it turns to water. And she's like, huh? And he says, my ether gear turns people into water if they shed tears. I, glug, 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 glug. I guess Ajuna wasn't technically there when he re-explained that's what his powers did when he used it on Rebecca and Shiki before. Which, by the way, I had assumed she would have had to have been defeated first before that power would have undone. But I guess if you get turned to water, it just, deact- yeah, it just deactivates that. Uh, she's like, are you saying you made yourself cry? And he says, I was technically an actor. Even if nobody had heard of me, which is acting 101, crying on cue. And he uh, elbows her in the face. <laughs> um, couldn't he have just been crying for real? I mean, like, he was A, being choked to death, which must have hurt. And B, he just found out that his old friend and possibly girl that he was romantically interested in had <laughs> turned traitor and was being used against him. Those are things that would get you emotional, wouldn't you think? No, you, you I would acted think. into crying. Well, you see, Nick, uh, 
and this is the the mastery of hero storytelling. You'd think it would have been very significant that Laguna saves himself from a surefire kill by crying to avoid this attack. Uh, and you could place a lot of emotion in that. Uh, but Hero masterfully subverts the expectation of that by never actually showing a panel of Laguna crying, which no. would provide any kind of context to what he did. So we just take it as his word that Laguna made himself cry and he did it. And it must I, have been his acting. I do think, like, because there are, we're still, got, we've still got half the chapter to go, so I won't <laughs> spend too much time on this. But I do legitimately think that this was a wasted opportunity because, yeah. like, big emotional thing would have probably really driven the story here home to have Laguna really legitimately upset about this and then being like, my Ether Gear saved me because, you know, I was upset. But no, K Kakutori, I made myself cry. Ha ha! <laughs> so. Now, it is. Uh, an established thing because i want to point this out that laguna is an actor we saw him that's he was acting back when witch recruited him um and that's actually an aspect of his personality i'd like to see explored a little bit more like even if you wanted to play it up he lies and says he was crying he made himself cry as an actor but when it comes down to it maybe we would all as readers know the truth is no he's very sad about the situation uh, as opposed to this situation that does come about where it looks like he's actually pretty excited to elbow this chick right in the <laughs> fucking chin. Like, he's like, take boom, take this bitch. <laughs> Kinshasa. I mean, why would I be upset right now? I get to punch a lady. <laughs> I'm about to fucking elbow slap fucking Judas effect my best friend in the face. Kablamo. Um, so they have a bunch of back and forth. She explains a little bit more of her ability about it ties people to love the red destiny. Perfect power for me. And, uh, you know, I was abducted by the Empire and did all that. And fucking Laguna interrupts by being like, then whether you meant to or not, you tied a string. You use that red string to tie yourself to Shara. And I was like, I have only known that you've aligned yourself with him and were apparently in love with him for 90 seconds. But I know <laughs> so, what really happened. <laughs> uh, I know what really happened. Kind of sounds a little accusatory, to be honest. Also, not different from what the modern parlance version of Stockholm Syndrome is. Like, oh. It's the same thing from, again, there's a lot of controversy and discussion regarding how real Stockholm Syndrome even is. It's a very difficult thing to actually quantify and get results and studies for and things like that. And a lot of time there's discussion as to how it's commonly portrayed in media is even anywhere near accurate to how it actually comes across. But how we know it is, you know, a person who is under some sort of captivity uh, comes to side with their captor. That is no different from her using her magic powers to tie herself emotionally with it's the same thing. So I don't know why this is like a big reveal. Like yeah. you used your power. It's. The difference between saying I fell in love with him versus no, you made yourself fall in love with him. Like, I guess there's a difference. Well, but it's, it's the even, willfulness is still there. It's so. even less that is it, it feels to me more like it's I I fell in love with him. No, wait. I used my power of making people fall in love with him to make myself fall in love with him. Like that just feels like there's one extra step to the same exact thing. Like you, you added like a little extra detail. 
Uh, but apparently this is the right thing to say because uh, it yeah. works. So. Yeah. Ajuna uh, is just like, what? No. What do you know about us? About a couple bound by destiny. And Laguna goes on about how your heart is crying. You were always tied by a bunch of red strings. You always were. They might not have led you to the love story you dreamed about. But we were all in that fight together. Tied to each other with strings of unbreakable bonds. And she's like, no. I am an Imperial soldier. I fight for Prince Shura. And Laguna says, it must really hurt playing a role you never wanted just to stay alive. And washes away her strings, which she says, you washed away my strings? And Laguna replies, it's proof that your heart is weakening. She says, no, it's not. I'm just... (laughs) And he says, when the heart is troubled, the flow of ether gets weak. Tears waves. Oh, man, I was really upset about my friend betraying our group. But now that I've elbowed her in the face, I feel pretty good. Time to go surfing. He's doing it in high heels, by the way. He's surfing in high heels. I want to make that very clear. Uh, He says, time to cut that fake red string tying you to Shura. And she cries, turning to water. And I love it. I believe Walter Man in our Discord created it. There's, there's one version of this page where she turns to water and you just see a bomb is the only thing left. <laughs> I love it because there's some people who don't know if that's the real page or not. They're like, oh my god, did they actually leave the bomb behind? Uh, we get an image of a metaphorical red string, or I guess literal, that's her power, snapping. And Laguna says, let's go home, princess, back to Oasis. And, uh, Ajuna's like, huh? Laguna? Where? Presumably. So she doesn't even remember what I, everything that's happened. So. How convenient. It'd be wow. nice. You know? Well, you I, guess, have to... I guess she doesn't even remember betraying her group, and we can just move she, on. She... And so the girl who's got her boobs out all the time can be a recurring character. I See, this will be the very funny thing, is if she shows back up again, and she's wearing like the exact same outfit <laughs> or something like that, yeah. and you're like, why? I thought the reason she was wearing that stupid outfit was because Shura made her wear it or something like that. And be like, yeah, but it's hot, so she's gonna keep wearing it for right now. That's what we're gonna. That's what we're gonna say, at least. Yes. But we're not done, Nick. There's more to this chapter. There's more. another little wrinkle to put into our system as we cut back to Humora, who is complaining that Creed is following her. And Creed explains, "I already told you we're going to the same place." Actually, wait, please stop and listen to me. <laughs> it's a very interesting panel transition. And it's very strange. She says, what? What do you want? He's like, I'm thinking, I think we're working towards the same goal. and We should help each other. And she says, I cannot trust you. I do not even know your name. And he says, it's Creed. No, it's Seiji Hojo. I came from the planet Edo, just like you. And Hamora ends the chapter by saying, y- you're from the Shogunate family? Bump, 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 bump. So this made me really upset because I didn't get a finalized pizza yeah. bet before this chapter. I know, because you definitely, I, I would have probably given it to you right there if, it, if we'd had one. Yeah, like he's telling her that, 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 oh, it turns out they're from the same planet and they were probably linked from childhood. Love interest, love interest tease right there. Boom. <laughs> Um, I just, <laughs> it was amusing to me because when this chapter came out, I was like, I think I'm going to need 
four or five more twists on this caliber before I'm going to start giving a shit about Creed as a character. Because this is not enough for it yet. I was like, I, I don't care. How many important male characters in Eden Zero have an established female love interest by this point? Shiki would presumably be with Rebecca. Which they... She kept on talking about how hot his future self was. So, yeah. We don't know about Wise yet, although they've sort of teased potentially Kinda. Clean or Hermit, maybe. Right. Um, there's even a little bit of stuff with Happy and Pino at times, I feel like. Uh, but that might just be like kid shipping kind of shit. Um, Chris, we don't, or Jane, we don't have anything with it as of the moment. Uh, not Gerard, definitely has not Urza. Uh, he has Hamora. Moskoy has sister? I don't even know what Moskoy's gender is, though. He, his gender might be Moskoy. <laughs> they are robots, so... Yeah, yeah uh, so I was just trying to figure out, because it's like it seems like that that's kind of like a requirement. Because now there's Laguna and and uh, uh, Princess. Yeah. So uh, I'm just trying to figure out, like, is, is there like a single dude on that ship who's not tied to anyone <laughs> uh the captain whatever, whatever his name was captain connors or something like that currently but you that's that true point, so. uh narrow in his dice that's an option <laughs> okay um i did want to say that i saw a thing that on twitter because i was actually kind of you you decided this week you were going to piss off the fans. <laughs> i was curious to see what the reaction to this chapter was because it was not very good follow-up to the previous <laughs> chapter. Um, but what I found was something that was actually a, a good point, which was someone just showing us like, yeah, and people were kind of wondering why, you know, future Shiki looks so goddamn sad and upset and stuff. And then it just kind of shows a collage of all the different times he's been really upset. And it does kind of lead to the point of like, if Eden Zero is supposed to be a darker story, it is potentially going to be interesting to see Shiki just get pushed like this over and over and see if he does ever have like a breaking point. And I don't mean like, Oh, he'll go off the deep end and he'll go crazy. Or if they'll even like allude to that, but if they'll just have, you know, a skull Greymon kind of sequence at mm. some point where he goes a little berserk. Uh, they have definitely teased out that dark gravity. Like there's a dark side to gravity. So it would not shock me if that's the case. Um, what would, what would blow my mind is if we run with it for longer than like two chapters like that would actually because like, i i feel like that's that's an end of the chapter reveal shiki is about to embrace the dark side of gravity and i don't know fucking pino walks in and is like i like your hair today and he's just like that's right i have friends and he fucking lets go of everything or whatever um but alternatively as a counter to that i will not enjoy alternate timeline evil shiki who didn't get that compliment about his hair who is an antagonist in a later arc going to this timeline to conquer it or something like that and then he sees someone being nice to froche and decides maybe i won't be evil after all yeah that's that's the way they fix him or something like that uh yeah um that is something to potentially look forward to i do hope that there is more to it than what you say uh because otherwise it feels like we're getting a lot of you know slow setup for the for a thing that's not going to be much of a payoff so mm. all right with that all said about eden zero let's, let's talk, talk about, about another great chapter 
It's better. It is. <laughs> the Hunter's Guild Red Hood. Um, so we actually get a flashback from Velo's perspective to begin with about this horrifying sounding game that they played in his village in which one person would dress up as a werewolf and put on a tail and all the kids would try to steal the tail. So like a reverse pin the tail on the werewolf kind of thing. I wanted to like act horrified by this and be like in this world where werewolves are actually real and eating people from your families and has happened in the village already you play a game like that and I'm like <laughs> oh yeah Ring Around the Rosie is about the Black Plague we have yeah. morbid children shit all the time like people cope with things in weird ways yes uh, so presumably this is something that has kind of given himself a little bit of inspiration of how to play this you know something that is horrifying you actually chase it and try and steal something from it i guess it's our chapter title number 10 the sixes plan and so Velo says we're not going to be playing a game of cops and robbers we're going to be playing a game of steal the tail and so they're going after the cops handcuffs as was established in the previous chapter uh they now can see how many cops each uh rather how many cuffs each individual cop has uh, and so Debonair immediately realizes, oh, you're going after the handcuffs, huh? You really think you can get, you can take them from me though? And, you know, it's going to just come down on everyone. And, uh, but Velo, we see some of his planning session with the others who are going after this. And he explains, so the two of them can't possibly be carrying 15 hand sets of handcuffs each, especially because they're really big things. So he suggests that they'll be carrying at most half a dozen of them. But there will be some way of resupplying them. Either there will be like a staff member who will replace the cuffs whenever they escort us to jail or uh, there will be something else like, you know, he's like, it's it's just a guess, but I think that's going to be it. Uh, so they exchange some ideas. And so he says, so we need to pin down exactly how they restock the cuffs and either then cut off their supply route or get more allies with us to try and swarm the cops, which probably isn't going to work anyway, but we've got to try something. So uh, the first thing that they need to do is gather information. They were at the point of they've got two hours to work with. And Bonkers says, yeah, how are we going to block their supply route for two hours? And Vela starts to suggest an idea, but then we cut back to the present. We see some uh, uh, fighting going on where um, I don't know exactly who does this, but I guess it's Mario. Uh, but uh, a belt buckle on Debonair uh, rusts and it comes off. And so the handcuffs get snatched they were around her belt, get snatched away. Uh, Grimm says, hmm, they're after the cuffs after they Debonair had said they're after the cuffs. So. I don't know, maybe Grimm just, like, zones out every once in a while. Yeah, kind of hey, there. don't we all? Yeah. Just like... So this is what being six feet tall feels like. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if I should stand more statuesque. Yes. Maybe if I... Maybe if I bend my spine a little bit more... Uh... <laughs> Did I have mac and cheese twice this week? I can go for you again. Yeah. 
<laughs> I don't know why. It's still maybe one of the funniest, most relatable jokes in my mind to me is uh, an old Jim Gaffigan joke about going to Catholic Mass and having a moment where you're kneeling down and it's supposed to be a contemplative thought and just be like, did I go to Wendy's twice yesterday? And I was like, <laughs> it's like he stole that joke from my mind. Oh, <laughs> uh, so um, the, oh gosh, what is her name? Freaking the girl who looks like Tamari. Uh, she's got all the handcuffs that Debonair had snatched off of her on her whip, but they grab the whip and just it snaps back towards them. There is a cool kind of uh, use of panels where uh, when uh, Grim is attacking Bonkers, the whip is like tied up in such a way that it yanks uh, at her hand and you see the whip going across the panels in order to demonstrate this. It's a nice effect. Uh, so th- she gets thrown into Mario and of course Bonkers has been kicked in the face uh, the sanctuary priestess lady uses uh, some sort of magic finger thing to create a defensive barrier of what looks like French fries with fingernails. <laughs> that is a very accurate way to describe them. <laughs> like gelatin made French fries that have fingertips. Uh, and so this barrier uh, surrounds her and prevents Debonair from getting at her. And Debonair says, so your power is a hex. And she says, no, it's God's blessing. Okay. I'm sure we'll get more information about that later, if there's time. Uh, so, but as a result of this, this kind of splits them off from some of the attackers. And so she and Mario and Nulo are able to get away, but Bonkers and Velo and po- and uh, Portion, is the Tamari Herod girl's name, are all thrown into the jail after the handcuffs are slapped on them. And then Grimm goes and receives replacement handcuffs from another one of the workers on the deck. And uh, then they kind of have to go and deal with the barrier that's been summoned. And Debonair says, I can't break the barrier but it's really durable because it's not going to last very long. But instead of waiting for it to dissipate, I'm just going to make a ramp for us to get below deck by melting it. Okay. All right. So that happens. We are introduced to another character, which is great, uh, named Laurel, who is the person who delivered the new handcuffs. And he's just kind of watching everyone, and it's like, well, you got caught really quick. Are you are you, are you are you cool with this? I mean, like, the rest of the people you were working with just abandoned you guys. But Bella says, it's all going according to plan. And we see that during the planning session, he brought the point of, I think if we get arrested, it's not really a big deal. Because, you know, that's how cops and robbers works, uh-huh. is that there could be jailbreaks. So, um, but, you know, people are... So Bonkers starts to object to this, but Portion has caught on to what's go- to what Velo is suggesting. And Velo says, it seems like a long test, but whether we pass or fail is only determined at the instant time's up. You don't fail the moment that you're arrested. So as long as you're not in jail when it ends, you win. So in that case, we can just wait in jail and then near the end of the test, steal their cuffs and block the supply and we don't have to worry about constantly cutting off the supply chain. 
And he says the most effective way to figure out what we need to do is actually by getting arrested and seeing what they do after the handcuffs are used on us. And he warns everyone, look, I am taking a risk on this. I'm kind of assuming some things. So if you don't agree with what I'm suggesting, you can just say no and we won't do it. But I have a reason for wanting to try things like this. And that's because I need as many hunters to pass this test as possible because I need allies to help me get rid of the werewolves. I need as many of you to do it with me. So there is logic in all of this. There, a lot of logic for this tiny child, but uh-huh. okay. So Portion's like, look, I don't really give a shit about your, <laughs> what you're trying to do instead, but I mean, your plan makes sense. Uh, so I think that we should do it. Uh, the priest disagrees as well. And Bonkers starts to look kind of hesitant. But when Mario's like, you don't seem very enthusiastic about this, but, but he's just like, no, nah, I'll do it. I'm assuming that's to allude to something. Um, yeah, I guess. But, I, I, well, I think what he's saying is, as, as kind of follows up later in the chapter, I guess betrayal is a relatively common thing in these. And it's mm-hmm. an ask of teamwork. So I think that's just to allude to him being like, I failed this five times before. Probably at least one of those times he could blame it on being betrayed by his teammates or something like that. But he, he's, he seems to, he's like, begrudging, like, all right, I'll go along with it. Yeah, I guess that's possible. But uh, so they make, they also end up from there deciding to actually deliberately split into two groups of three, which they go to a long effort to explain that, no, it was definitely deliberate that these three were arrested and these three were free. Okay. Uh, And so what they're doing as the free group is actually going around and trying to recruit people to work on this plan together with them. And apparently Velo just like says all this stuff out loud to Laurel and Laurel's just like, Oh yeah, cool plan. (laughs) Which, why are you telling him? (laughs) Maybe Velo's just one of those guys who just like, Oh no, you won't believe it. I came with the, I got to tell you about how smart I am. So (laughs) yeah, he wants to brag. Everyone else in the group knows his plan. He has to sell it to somebody new. And this person's just like, cool, I'm the dude who's trying to stop you, though, so I don't know if I'm the one you should be telling, but... I am working directly with Grimm and and Debonair, and I could very well pass all this information on to them so they know what to watch out for. He's like, like right, <laughs> right on, though, dude. I like your spirit, man. <laughs> Maybe Velo just happened to notice how high he looked, and then was like, yeah, I can tell this guy. <laughs> He's like, well, they're playing cops and robbers, but none of them have cop uniforms. Fucking wild, man. Imagination is the fucking spirit of the universe. <laughs> That's when he realized he's at the wrong cage. He's talking to nobody. <laughs> oh, wow. So they just like put handcuffs on you and you were cool with that? Well, whatever you're into, man. He's, he's, he's handcuffed himself, actually. <laughs> so, um, but he brings up the point that he doubts everyone is all for the idea of selfless cooperation. And then we smash cut to Tilty saying, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. Uh, because... And so they're like, I thought you were like Velo's friend. We're not friends. No, I've just been traveling together with him for four months. (laughs) We've just been roommates for three months now or two months now. No, he was he was the one roommate before they combined. So, yeah, he was roommates with him for like three months, presumably. 
Guilty's got to be a bad roommate. Like, <laughs> well, he they, would not have cleaned up the room if Mario had not harped on him. Yeah, before. I was gonna say they do establish he was he was kind enough to do that. So that one panel goes to show what kind of a kind person he is deep down. That's right. But uh, Mario's like, oh, I see that you're hiding here in where there's just a bunch of coal. So if she uses her fire, it would be disastrous. Anyway. What happened to you during the test? How did you fail? And he says, it was betrayal! Betrayal of the highest caliber! We were going to work together, but then we didn't. Bum, 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 bum. What a dramatic twist. Yeah, he doesn't even go into any detail. He was just like, we were all deceiving each other, but we, we dragged each other down. It was really pathetic. So... You can't make teams because it's too big a risk. Oh, no, it's the prisoner's dilemma. So, um, yeah, he says there is no more fragile bond out there than one that's built on trust. To which I say, what bonds have you had (laughs) that are stronger than the ones built on trust? Well, it's weird. It's it's a weird thing, too, when you think about it, because I was like, I could understand it if there were different rules to this game. Where it was like, only a certain amount of us are actually going to get to be hunters, or if there was some kind of ranking system at place, or so. But there's none of that in this game. That like, there's no limit to the number. Everybody who's not in prison gets to succeed, and it takes two hours. So you would assume, like, yeah, it actually is pretty advantageous of us to work together. Like, we could all pa- like, yeah, it's not pitting the hunters against each other it's us against two people we just had to stop them basically and then all of us pass yeah this is not a a situation of i don't have to be strong faster than the bear i have to i just have to be faster than you because once the bear catches that person they will then immediately start yeah. chasing they have a two hours to catch us all so yeah so it is definitely to your advantage to have as many allies as possible because they're the ones that are going to get you out of jail if you get caught which inevitably you will if you're just on your own and you're being a dick to everyone who's like, well, I'm not going to save that guy. Yeah. Then. So, and, and they did mention that the tests are different each time. So previous tests, having more of that would make sense. But it, it, in this test, I am just like everyone who's logical has already come to the conclusion of like, yeah, this is the logical way to do it. So it is yeah. weird that there are some people who are just like, no. But then again, we live in a world currently where people are eating horse paste instead of just getting a vaccine shot. So I don't know. Some people are just weird. I don't know what else to say, I guess. It would have, we would have benefited if there had been, instead of so much explanation over like really basic parts of the plan, like this is where you know, we'll form two groups. If instead we've gotten like a half a page of Tilty explaining what the test was in which he was betrayed. Yeah. And then you can get an idea of like, oh, that really that, sucks. See how deep and I can scarred. see why you thought you could depend on someone like it would. It seemingly on the surface would make sense for you to trust each other. But no, we, we just like someone betrayed me and that's it. So. Uh, and then we get the end of the chapter. We cut to uh, the jail where Laurel is looking down and he's like, what the fuck? And there's like this fungus or roots from something wiggling along or along the ground. And it goes all the way down into um, a place where Mario and the others are. And there is a message from Velo because, oh, it's green. It's a signal. 
It's uh, that's, that they get replacements from the staff. So they're going with plan A to try and cut off the supply route. So, yes, that is the chapter. But as we go through this exam, I am liking it slowly more and more. Mm-hmm. But there are still flaws with this series. And it bums me out because, like, there is some good stuff in here that is being beaten down by these like pacing flaws and focus flaws so yeah i mean i'll say that ultimately i do like a lot of this chapter i like some of the small touches i even though it's a dumb touch i do like mario being like yeah i i kind of have an idea that i could trust you you're always quick to kind of help cater to to like the stuff that scared me and everything like that and the idea that tilty is hiding in the cold room because he's like uh debonair can't come in here because she will explode the ship uh like i was like little touches like that show the characters are thinking in this universe um i just find some and i do think some of the paneling as you mentioned earlier is pretty clever there's some stuff though i think the action is relatively hard to follow still in this series and sometimes sequence changes are a bit hard to follow um and also this is starting to I don't want to say starting to drag, but the series is potentially running on a very limited clock going forward. So I'm like, I wonder if they're going to become hunters and then it just ends, basically. (laughs) And they had many more adventures. Yeah, they killed all the werewolves. The end. All right. With that done, we're going to move on to Maguchan, God of Destruction. Chapter 58, The Dawning of the Crazy Cafe! So we begin this chapter with Naputuku, who's digging through some garbage and Ren is watching him and he's like, oh, he's running through the garbage again. I thought he'd been, you know, like being serious at work and stuff, but what the hell? And he's talking about world domination. What is he doing? He'll never stop being an evil god. But Naputuku just takes this little shelf and drags it over and he turns it into a little stand for his miniature cafe, the crazy cafe, which uh, we were basically told that the way that this is translated kind of loses a bit of the fact that the name is a ripoff of Ren's family cafe. Mm. So, um, but he's got it and he's got, you know, little like taped together bowls to serve people. And he's got his little out outside grill and stuff. So, He's ready to cook for people. And <laughs> oh, Naputsku. So he's like, oh my God, this is great. This is going to be great. Uh, he panics when Ren comes up. Uh, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I-, I own an eatery now. Place your order. And Ren's like, what are you doing playing shop out here? He's like, no, no, no. I, I-, I want to have my cooking dominate and I want to have my own place and I want to make money. And I found a way to do all those things. With my crazy cafe, I'll sell my food to lowly humans and make a fortune. And he's like, yeah, one day I'm going to have a huge enterprise. And uh, he's like, oh, I'm such a genius. This is definitely going to work. And Ren just kind of shakes his head pityingly at the tiny chaos guy. He's like, okay, yeah, yeah, all right, all right. Uh, Okay, well, um, your place is either going to burn down or you're going to go bankrupt. But uh, yeah, uh, I'll have one pudding. Yeah, I'll help you out. So, Naputuku has a pudding, 
uh, ready to go. And he's like, and I also threw in a piece of fried chicken on the house. So, hey, great yeah. service for his first customer. Good job. So Ren eats it and he's like, yeah, it's good. I mean, you're using my family's recipe for it. So, of course, it's good. But, yeah, it's good. Although the pudding's warm. Uh, and uh, but then he also thinks back like, oh, yeah, when I first learned to cook when I was a kid, I kind of went through something like this, too. So, yeah, you know, getting him all nostalgic and stuff. He finishes. And then Naputaku says, and here's your bill, <laughs> which <laughs> it's like 30 bucks for a piece of chicken and warm pudding. Multiple things. One, yes. Thirty dollars, basically, for one piece of fried chicken and one pudding. And two, he said he threw in the chicken on the house. <laughs> the liar. The food I think he's just like, on the house means I have it in the restaurant, right? <laughs> he has no phrases. Well, yeah, he's only a little kid. <laughs> so, so Nabutica's like, well, if you can't pay that bill, of course you can. It's $30. <laughs> this is a weird anecdote. But I was like, it, you did remind me, like, yeah, kids don't know phrases. And I just remember being like a kid and my mom sent me into the grocery store alone. And I think she gave me like $20 to get like maybe like $5 worth of stuff. And I remember like after like handing the person my 20 and then be like, keep the change. And they were like, no, get back here. <laughs> like you can't like, I know you've heard it in TV shows. I just thought it was a yeah, thing you, to do. But this is like $13. Want, they didn't want to like to be accused of stealing $20 <laughs> from this. location. <laughs> like knowing how broke my mom was at the time, like the idea that I would have just come out and she's like, where's the change? It's like, I told them to keep it. Yeah. I heard it in a cartoon once. <laughs> <laughs> so Naputsuku makes Ren work off his quote unquote debt by just making him go and, you know, scrum up business for him, essentially. So, of course, he tells Ruru about it. And, of course, Ruru wants to help out because she's great and, su and, a, and a supporting friend. And uh, so she's like, yeah, you open up a food stall. And, of course, Magu is there and he's like, will you grant me offerings to become my flesh and blood? Yes, Magu. That's how you get. That's what happens when you get food from a little place. Yeah, I like that you could use that Homer Simpson joke there, where you're like, "Will you grant me offerings to become flesh and blood?" And they're like, "Yes, I could exchange goods and services with yeah. you." Like, <laughs> I just have to recognize that's how you recognize commerce. So Rue is like, "Okay, yeah, I'll buy some fried chicken for dinner tonight." And and Naputaku, of course, is like, "Ah, here's your fried chicken. That'll be five thousand yen, which is like." $45 for like $7 <laughs> worth of chicken. And so Ruru just spins on her heels like, all right, let's go to the supermarket. <laughs> um, and yeah, Ruru's like, look, I know you're like, I know you, Naputakun, but I'm not going to spend that much money on, on that guy. And she says, I could buy 200 packs of natto with that kind of money. It's not worth it. So Naputugu, of course, immediately crumbles. He's a horrible businessman. He's like, ah, oh, I'll drop the price. How about um five yen? <laughs> Which is like a nickel. Yeah. <laughs> so she's like, yeah, okay. I'll buy that much fried chicken for five cents. And Naputugu is just like, yay, I made a <laughs> I'll be honest, Nick. I started to hate Ruru here a little bit. I was like, you fucking 
You're such a fucking scumbag. You know this is costing him way more than five cents to make this chicken. You're taking advantage of him at this point. This is your friend. You know he's an idiot. You should be the responsible adult here, goddamn. I know he's an elder chaos god who should know better, but he is the mind of a child. You need to be the responsible one here. I understand where, the point you're coming from, especially because then she goes and tells her friends yeah, about it. Yeah, I was like, she tells everybody, like, like hey, <laughs> everybody come over. Naputaku doesn't know the fucking price of chicken. This idiot's giving it away for a nickel. Uh, and he's just like, he's just so happy to be to be working, too, that he doesn't he doesn't realize until too late what this is doing to him, that he can't maintain this business, that he is selling at a massive loss. Because, and he's even like, I've got my hermit crabs to help, but I can't just leave the customer service to them. I got to work hard and then I can't neglect my part time job either. Got, oh, so much work. Oh, but you know what? I know what I can do. I'll hire part timers and my enterprise shall expand. So he goes to Reen and he says, I'm giving you the privilege of working beneath me, which as a working woman, I'm sure that she has heard many times in her life. But she has another idea. She doesn't like reject him outright. She's like, hey, I know what we'll do. And she goes to Nosukoshu and is like, yeah, uh, go work for go work to, for Naputaku. And Naputaku is like, why is the God of Illusions in your bedroom? <laughs> and Rin says, yeah, so um, we were supposed to like beat the laziness out of her by having her work at the beach shop, but uh, didn't work. So I wasn't sure what to do. So I just used her as a pillow because she helps me sleep. <laughs> so, yes, Nosukoshu is essentially her Pokemon now. Yeah, I was going to say, in a twist everyone caught, not twist, but a development everyone foresaw. The fact that she uses her as a pillow is pretty great, <laughs> So, yeah, Nobutaku, because Nosukoshu is so lazy that she can't even be asked to, like, walk picks her up under his arm is like come work for me <laughs> so uh but of course Nosukoshi doesn't want to do anything uh Nepushiku offers her five yen to work for him for the day uh so the crazy cafe grows but it didn't last long and so Nepushiku counts his money and he realizes that he's made like one dollar from all the sales minus his expenses so hasn't really worked out. Uh, so Nobutaku's panicking, but Magu comes by and he's got a big old thing of Tupperware, and he says, "Furnish me with rations to become our dinner, Nobutaku. Give me change for this." And he gives him a thousand yen, which is like nine, ten dollars. And so Nobutaku doesn't know how change works <laughs> because he doesn't set prices for anything, and so he gives him five yen in, in exchange. And he gives him the only ingredients that he has, which is some parboiled seaweed, which is going to be incredibly cheap. So, hey, he's made almost $10 all of a sudden, just like this. And he's like, oh, my God, it all makes sense. I'll just sell cheap items and then sell them at a high price. That's the backbone of business. Oh, baby's first economy. <laughs> <laughs> he's learning. Not the right lessons quite yet, but he'll get there. So, but then he realizes that because he just stocks up on seaweed and nobody wants the seaweed except for Maku-chan. So he's like, I don't know. I don't have the capital to buy ingredients. Oh my God, what am I going to do? 
I've got one choice now. Uderus, please help me. <laughs> or does it happen? Ooh, bum, 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 bum. Here's a question, Chris. Can Uneris ruin a chapter if she was never actually in it? Yes. Okay. So oh, it's oh god. There's got to be some principle to it, but it's it, 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 like every variation of Uneris in every universe. It's like Loki. Like every version of Loki is a fucking problem for the TVA. Right. Every version of Uneris, even if it's a dream version, is a fucking menace. So Aeneas essentially decides to be the new backer for the business. But, uh, you know, since she's, you know, the shark, she gets to have some say in how it's run. And so she demands that it be converted into a maid cafe. So Naputuku and Nosukoshu dress up as maids. Okay. Mm. And um, uh, it works. Uh, a massive crowd immediately gathers to the maid cafe. And we get a weird joke where Naputuku does the, you know, injecting love into your ketchup rice thing. Except he uses his friendied roar frenzied roar instead uh and uh apparently the effect of it um affects the rice omelet uh the omu rice i think it's called uh and so everyone's really really happy and nabutuki makes much money and then he wakes up because nosukoshu just made him have a dream and uh so uh everything about basically after he sold the, the seaweed to maguchan was a dream even going to see uneris so that didn't actually happen um it does then, it does speak to the character the content of anaris's character though that they just assume like in a dream world they're like yeah anaris is gonna do some weird shit like make us up at a maid cafe or something like that that'd be kind of weird right yeah and i guess Naputuku just knows what a maid cafe is or nosukoshu knows what a maid cafe yeah is. i think that's the more i think that's the more likely scenario uh Ruru shows up with Magu-chan, who has just learned that he has been deceived about the cost of the seaweed. And Ruru's like, yeah, I can't eat this seaweed, all the seaweed. What the hell? So Magu's upset. And Rin has come as well because um, she's upset that her kid sister sort of has been uh, deceived like this. So Nabutigo, of course, is, is really upset. And he's like, ah, I, I can give you your money back. I just need to open a maid cafe. And so he goes to Aneris and and starts the maid cafe and everyone's like why would anyone want a maid cafe with a starfish and a dream demon thing as the client uh, as the customer service so instead he has to work in the under the knighthood branch office to pay off his debts and they force him to work in the mines because Uneris is a slave driving asshole so this chapter was really good until about two thirds through and I can't tell you exactly what happened to it to uh it was the dream sequence uh that was yeah. it <laughs> uh i will also be honest kind of side with the butaku this most of this chapter i was like he is a greedy asshole at the beginning but they do also explain he's also very dumb and easily tricked everyone so just tricks him doing. he yeah. look Here's the thing, and I made the same argument when it comes to my cousin Sean. At some point, you have to recognize this guy is a menace, and you need to be the responsible adult with dealing with them. All right, this is a story that gets told in our podcast uh, where my brother went to pick up my cousin Sean. My cousin Sean had both phones on his lap as with the navigation apps open, and then they missed the turn because Shawnee Boy was telling jokes. And he, Shawnee Boy's defense is, I don't know why... 
you thought I was navigating. Yes, both phones are on my lap, but I'm not navigating. I'm here for the fun. That's your job. And I've said it before. I'd be like, in any other normal like human conversation, you would be right to assume that person's the asshole. But we know enough about Shawnee Boy at this point that it, you were the idiot if you assumed he was going to do something different. I don't know what else to tell you. Yeah. Poor Naputsuku. At least he had fun for a little while, though. Yeah. Yeah. He had fun playing, he had fun playing uh, business for a day. So. Yeah. It's like when you go to uh, Enterprise Village and they teach you uh, how to, you know, write paychecks for people. And then uh, you're the bookkeeper for the company and you have to just write checks all day and hurt your hand. And it's not nearly as much fun as you thought it would be. Is that a true story in your life? Yeah, there's a thing in the in the uh, in the Pinellas area where like um, they post events for like fifth graders and then eighth graders and then like I think seniors in high school where you basically learn about different facets of like working. Huh. And so, yeah, you you learn about like, you know, going to work and like having to wear a, a work uniform and stuff. Uh, yeah. Sounds bad. I don't like it. It, sounds like it's a, it, it teaches personal finance to a degree. Sounds uh, like free labor from children is what it sounds like, Nick. I mean, the, no labor is actually accomplished. We're going to so. take it to Twitter. We're going to cancel whatever thing you mentioned. I don't have time to remember what it was. I think it was like some bread okay. company. Let's take them down. Just take down all like, the bread. It's not like we record this show. Is that right? Yeah. Wait, we're we supposed to be recording. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work when it's not Austin on Dice Funk where I can say that. Like, except, <laughs> like 60 minutes into an episode, like, was I supposed to hit record? And just you hear like in the back Everyone of his Everyone panics. Mind. Well, in the back of his, well, because I've done it a thousand times. So he knows it's a joke, but there's a small right. part in the back of his head is like, is he joking right now? Or is he <laughs> like, you can't keep doing this. This is I very mean, stressful to me. My, my way of dealing with it is just like, well, I guess Chris forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Which has <laughs> happened. The season it finale happened. of season four. I forgot, like, my recording did not work, and I had to record the entire episode afterwards by listening to oh, everyone yeah. else recorded and figuring fill out what up. Said. And the worst part was when clearly there was a pause, and then everyone else laughs, and I told a joke, and I was like, I don't remember what fuck it. So you had to come up with a new joke to fill in the gap. No pressure. But the good part <laughs> is it doesn't matter what the joke is. Everyone laughs oh, afterwards, so the joke could suck, and they probably did. There was probably a lot of jokes in that season four episode. They were like, oh, this stinks. Anyway, Dr. Stone. Let's set stoned. Z equals 210, not one way. Get a cute little picture of Chrome and and uh, and uh, little Suica running off somewhere. It's it is little Suica because she's short. But I was going to say is like she's got big Suica hair. And then I was like, no, no, she always had that hair. That's right. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. anyway. Um, so we have just established that Senku's plan for dealing with Y-Man is to have a three-man team basically do a suicide run on the mission to the moon. The, the ship will be one way and they will set off the Medusa device in order to petrify everyone on the moon, including the three of them. And then they'll just have to wait there for more technology to develop so that they can be rescued. So Chrome and Suica are left to think about this, uh, for a bit uh, we cut over to Yo, who is like, oh, man, I came out here to get away from the computer labor, but it turns out there's labor here, too. Yes, you dumbass. It's, <laughs> you're in the science kingdom. Everyone's got to work hard. <laughs> uh, Kaseki asks for some details about, you know, creating the rocket. 
And Psycho says, yeah, we got to like process these rocks a lot. And he draws up a rough roadmap to show like, yeah, we form the rocks into aluminum, which then becomes duralumin. And so people get excited and stuff. He says that uh, the amount of uh, money spent to produce aluminum for the Apollo rocket was three billion yen, which is a lot of goddamn money. Um, I believe that's in like equivalent dollars, like adjusted. But anyway, so. That would make sense. So to make the amount of power in order to convert this, they needed a hydroelectric plant. So that's something that they've got to create. And uh, he says... And in order to make that kind of plant, we're going to need to go to a place that where there is a land with rivers to spare and varying elevation. Japan! So, <laughs> hey, they're going to get to go back to Japan and... Um, Presumably up. fix everybody, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think that's the actual reason they're going back to Japan now, so that they can fucking wake up Ruri and everyone else. So, uh, I don't know of anyone else who's important to Ruri, than Ruri. I guess the chief. I uh, think that's is news reporter girl there or is she in America? I believe she's in America. Okay. Might be wrong about that though. But yeah. So everyone will should be awake out of everyone who has been awake, basically. Except for Stanley. So <laughs> uh so hey, they're all gonna go back to where everything started, uh, in order to actually build it. And uh they put <laughs> They put the Beauty and the Beast Rose Voss thing over the Medusa device to seal it away. I guess it's like a soundproof cylinder. I don't know. Yeah, well, sealing it away. So they're going to do that. Um, Ryusui says that his intuition tells him that the Medusa device can even revive the dead. So, yeah, I guess he's figured this out, too. Cool. Good to know. <laughs> good good thing we kept this a secret from everyone, only for Yusui to just blab about it, where I believe only Gen and Senku can hear anyway. But uh, uh, And so, yeah, Senku reestablishes. It's going to be a one-way trip. Chrome looks up at the moon at night thinking about this, and he's like, well, obviously Senku's going to be going. The pilot of the ship's going to be Ryusui, and uh, it's, the fighter's probably going to be either Tsukasa or Hyoga. And the rest of the kingdom will probably never see any of them ever again. And he makes a sad face. And how does he make a sad face? <laughs> so he thinks about this and he's like, okay, the ones who are designed the rocket are Senku and Zeno. And Zeno is a diehard when it comes to efficiency. So he's going to side with Senku on this one-way trip idea. And yeah, that's the most logical option. It's better to trust the experts on this. I guess an amateur like me has no right to object to this plan. But then when he thinks about that, and he's like, an amateur like me? Like hell, I'll go along with that. And uh, kid, you're gonna... You're gonna bust up your teeth if you grind them like that. You gotta be careful about that. Uh, and Suika is there too, I guess. Uh, and she's like, and Chrome's like, yeah, we've got to all be there so that we can have our big victory toast together. That's that's our happy ending is for all of us to make it through this, which, hey, that is has been the the ethos of uh, Dr. Stone from the beginning is is to save everyone. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he's like, 
we've got to we've got no other option than to actually build a craft that can act as a as a return vessel. And so he, with great control over himself, grabs Suika and is like, "Look, I might talk big, but I'm all bark and no bite." On my own, I barely even know how to spell the word rocket, which puts me in a tight spot. But hey, Suika, you made that revival fluid all by yourself. We're the two freshest science users from Ishigami Village, so we're gonna build the return rocket. And Suika's immediately like, yeah, let's do that. Uh, but um, are we gonna keep this a secret from Senko and everyone? And Chrome says, yes. Okay. Um. All right, you know, I do... Like it though, I, I, I you cre- you present the problem last week, and the implication being three characters, well, two characters and one character. I'm kind of okay on, uh, two characters like one character, eh, whatever. Rusei could freeze into hell. I don't care. Uh, are gonna go in this spaceship and and be stuck there forever, presumably, uh, or at least until someone could rescue them a very long time from now, uh, and then have two characters who I like saying we're gonna keep that from happening. Immediately, it's like okay cool like i like this development so the two of them realize we need to figure out how to do more advanced calculations if we're going to launch our own plan to build this kind of vessel and so they think about it and they're like who do we who can we go to for math and calculations of course they go to sigh and the first thing we see when we cut to this scene is him looking down at them in shock but then we see that they're actually like dogezaing uh, before him they're bowing down on hands and knees begging him for help and so he kind of has one of those like oh this is really awkward for me but i can't really say no uh moments um and he establishes that when he was working on coding he did actually teach math to pay the bills and so he's like look starting from the very beginning is not going to be easy are you too serious and of course they're the two of them are like yeah we are so he gets a kind of this, he's this weird kind of smile on his face. And that's just kind of it. Now we have our teams divided into two groups. We've got Senku leading everyone on this mission for the one-way rocket. And we've got Chrome and Suiko trying to race in order to learn math from size so that they can launch their own plan to create a round-trip rocket. And... Um, it's been established that Suika um, still has poor vision. Chrome, let her sit in the front row. You asshole. <laughs> no. I'm the teacher's pet. I sit near the front. So, yeah. Uh, that's uh, that's the big development from this week is that Chrome and Suika are going to work on their own plan to save everyone. Which, yeah, of course they are. Those, yeah. those two uh, uh, bright and uh, optimistic children. So. Yeah, as I said, I really, really like this chapter. I like this development, and uh, I'm hoping for the best for those two crazy kids. Yeah. All right, Nick. Let's talk about Mashal Magic and Muscles. Chapter 77, Mash Burn Dead, and the next stage. Fuck, I forgot about this chapter until I immediately heard that, and now I remember what this chapter is about. So Mash kicks order in the head, but whoop, he Gara Sand blocked it. Uh, and he's about to do, he basically like ties Mash up with uh, all the sand and he's going to kill him, shoot a bunch of uh, a big blast, but it's blocked. This box would really take a lot of the like distress out of this moment. Uh, workout shorts, Nick, please. Yeah, They're not whatever. boxers. They don't, have, they, also, don't have, they don't have big cartoon hearts all over them. Also, his completely nonplussed expression. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, so the big attack's coming towards it. We see some blood. We pull away. And there's a giant hand that's blocking the attack now. But also, Mash had freed himself from the shackles. So a little point there as Mash puts on his clothes. She says, whew, violence really isn't the answer. And uh, a character has interrupted it by yawning. And everyone has a page where they all just stare at each other with giant ellipses because no one knows what to say. And we are reintroduced to the immortal cane, Renatus Revel, who says, huh? I don't remember why I'm here. And everyone's like, uh, oh? He says, why am I here again? Mash is like, I don't know. He says, same. What a weirdo. He says, ah, it's on the tip of my tongue. Ah, come on. I almost got it. Hold on. Everyone shut up. Trying to concentrate. Oh, yes, you've been uh, granted permission to proceed to the next stage of the, <laughs> of the Tri-Magic Athlon Divine Visionary Final Exam. And it is the funniest thing, because there is not an... Like, I don't know if Suecia has a legal team that, like, has to pass over each chapter. But, like, is this legally distinct enough from Harry Potter that we can <laughs> permit... Because it is just the Tri-Wizard Tournament. Three schools are going to send all of their best students to essentially do this giant contest. And this is essentially how the divine visionary is chosen. Uh, and something has changed because they believe this year, innocent zero may have snuck someone in as one of the students for it. So we have to go do that. Who's got the place under the thumb? No, one other than the big bad underling. And they note that the final prize of this exam is the divine visionary uh, mark known as the Wand of Beginnings. It is presented ceremonially uh, to the victor of the celebration, but the wand has a motherload of magic power within it, uh, within it. And Mash is bleeding out his mouth. He is dead because so much information has been uh, dumped onto him. Yeah, I mean, come on. This poor boy almost died when he was studying for his finals or, uh, before, and then he has to go and suffer through this. Poor kid. Yeah. Poor dumb kid. That, uh, that uh, I feel like that panel alone, he's dead, death by info dump, can be saved and reused in a lot of situations. Oh, it's very exploitable. Yeah, yes. you can definitely use it. Uh, they do explain, uh, basically, well, if they're going to do this, why don't you just cancel the event? And they can't because it basically has a lot of tradition behind it. They can't get everybody to panic by canceling it because of a hunch. So what the alternative is, is to have you enter the tournament on behalf of your school and you have to stop uh, this uh, innocent zero spy from taking over everything. Uh, there is the number one Domina Bellweave. Bell, bell, blow live? Blow live. That's it. Blow live. Blowy live. Uh, <laughs> the current strongest student. Blowy live. Blowive. Uh, they note that he is the strongest magic student user. As strong as this visionary is hard to say, but probably considering it's Innocent Zero's kid. And Master says, must destroy Dark Magic School. Must destroy Dark Magic School. Renata uh, says, hey, win the tournament, pass the exam, and then you become the next visionary. The world will acknowledge you at that point. This is the true final exam. And then he says, are you cool with that order? And order says, Domina, pff, I'll be acting on my own, so do as you like. And he makes a sand portal or something and just leaves. Uh, and Mash is like, huh? He backed down? Renatus explains, order gotta take care of him uh, stuff on his own. 
Domino is at the center of a lot of nasty rumors in middle school. There's been talk about the visionary who came after order, the one before rain. They were crushed so bad that nothing could be done for them. And the rumors say it was Domino who was responsible. It's unreal that a middle schooler could be a divine visionary, but for Domina, it could have happened. So take my word for it. There's never been a magic student user tougher than him. And I love it because Mash says, this Aqua blue light's going to be my toughest foe yet. Clearly did not bother to pay attention to the name he whatsoever. He just said a weird sounding name. And you know what? That was a good move. He um, did it with such confidence that you're like, I, maybe that's what he thought he heard. Uh, Renatus tries to uh, help out by saying, don't worry, we got the su- we got some of the guys from St. R's who competed with Rain last year, so I'll contact him and let him know to help you out. And Mash says, with Rain, I'm sure I can count on him. And we cut over to Domina, who has fucking murked all three of the people we just got introduced to, yep. and just says, you fought with Rain? I expected so much more. Bum, 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 bum. Our next antagonist in the Triwizard yep. Magic Tournament, whatever they're calling it here. If this was supposed to be a thing where like only Lance was supposed to be put in and somehow Mashal also got put in, then it's got to be like, all right, this is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a pretty it's it is a very info dumpy chapter, but it's setting up stuff that we should be getting into very, very shortly. So it's fine. I just want. Mashal to cross every line to be as close to Harry Potter as like after this they're like we have to find a half blood prince somewhere in our school which I say that we still don't know what an Ira crew or Urka cruise or whatever the fuck dot is could be maybe that is a half blood prince and like we need to form a secret order at our school or something like that like oh no the death the the death the sweat we swallows or something. The, the bad trees are coming to get us or whatever the fuck the deadly hollows were all about. Was it a location or a thing? The deadly, the deathly hollows. Yeah. Uh, they were things. Was it like a forest or. No, the hollows. So like hallowed ground kind of uh, thing. Okay. So like a location then. No, no. What? What are the Deathly Hallows? Nick, as Harry Potter has explained my manga, which is just Mashal, but. <laughs> so uh, the Deathly Hallows were mm-hmm. uh, these three different objects that if you had all of them, then you would have total mastery over death. Okay. And one, so of, and was... one of them was a forest. Yes. I recall trees on the cover of the book. <laughs> That's because the climax to the book takes place in the Forbidden Forest. So there is a forest involved. Yes. Done. All right. <laughs> I can't say that you're wrong because he does find out the secret of the Hallows in a forest. There we so. go. It's all I need. That's all I needed. The Deathly Hollows of the Forest. I got it. Am I actually saying that wrong? Is it Hollows? I forget. I forget what it is. Whatever. I, no I don't even remember. Whatever. I don't care. So. Um, so we're going to do the Elusive Samurai now. Let's do it. Chapter 31. Desire to Survive. 
So the evacuation is going well. Of course, the general was killed by Kodro in the last chapter, which was excellent. And we see that uh, Hoshina is, you know, getting all of his troops ready to go so that uh, the, and they uh, they're told that the that the women and children they are protecting are all safe now. So now they're just going to be doing a full retreat. And Hoshina calls out to Tokuyuki, whom he still just believes is a messenger from Yorishige, to say, uh, you can go now. And Tokuyuki says, not yet, Hoshina, don't know. I am responsible for encouraging this evacuation. I've come this far. So if I were the only one who didn't have to face this oncoming fear and Hoshino starts getting emotional, he's like, oh my God, he's so brave and so dedicated. I can't believe it. And Tokyuki, meanwhile, he can't see his face and Tokyuki's just lighting up like, oh my God, I, I <laughs> can't so wait to be in this life or death situation. <laughs> so, then the best three panels in history occur. <laughs> They signal the retreat, and the nice-faced guard is just stabbing an unseen corpse. Yeah, they're like, hey, the signal retreat. Step, 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 step. Step, 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 step. Okay, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> it's <Insane>. fucking funny. <laughs> it's... Uh, so, of course, every, everyone in the, uh, oh, gosh, the kuh, the kuh, the ka. Kokushis and uh, everyone in the Kokushis army sent is what Hoshina's troops are doing. They're trying to close in on them while their backs are turned, but the riders are able to launch arrows from their bows as they're retreating. Uh, Tokyuki is joining in with this as well. Uh, an archer from among the Kokushis soldiers tries to take a shot at Tokyuki and he just matrix bends his himself out of the way uh, while still on the horse. Uh, and, uh, though she is like, oh, this guy's really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, we see the Tokyuki. Yeah. He's, uh, he's gotten some, he's gotten to improve from this. And we also see that we get some narration explained that the rear guard are in the most dangerous position during a retreat. And as a result, they get the admiration of their brothers in arms very easily. So this of course is very important because Tokyuki has got to win over these new allies. Uh, and then we cut over to Fubuki, whom we saw riding through the mist while Tokugawa, well, Ichikawa rather, was uh, going, leaving the Kokushi behind. And so he's like, yeah, uh, I'm going to go strike the decisive blow now. And so Ichikawa realized what's happening. And contrary to the sort of prediction that we had last week that, oh, he, he might you know just abandon the Kokushi because he doesn't like him. Nope. He is a very sound-minded general and knows that that would be a bad thing uh, to just allow this person to be killed. Well, and he so, also specifically notes that it's his responsibility it's to keep responsibility. him alive, so he'll probably be killed if the guy's dead yeah. as well. So he knows not to put the, the bad feelings ahead of, you know, the most important stuff. So he shouts a warning to Kakushi, and Kakushi is like, what is he yelling about? Is he just yelling in fear? What an asshole. <laughs> Making no friends, of course. So Ichikawa tries to storm back in order to help out, but he's too slow. And uh, Fubuki reaches the Kakushi, leaps gracefully out of the mist. Very cool effects uh, with the mist swirling around them, by the way. At least a really cool pattern. He slices with his swords and cuts off the Kakushi's hair. And uh, so the Kakushi falls from his perch while Fubuki rides away. And of course, the Kakushi's like, he tried to kill me, that asshole. And Fubuki just thinks as he rides away 
this guy is really, really bad at his job. So killing him would be ill-advised. A poor commander like him is more useful alive. Good strategy. Yeah. So uh, they see that uh, Fubuki is fleeing across the river, and they see that these flags have been raised in the mist, so it seems like there are reinforcements that are arriving. The Kakushi is immediately fearful for his life, thinking that there is this new force that's going to kill him. And Ichikawa is like, look, I don't hear any soldiers moving. They probably just planted the flags there. And sure enough, they have. But Kakushi is an incompetent commander, and he's paranoid now that he's going to be killed. So he demands that all the troops be called back immediately, and they sound the retreat. Ichikawa, of course, is really, really pissed off about this. Uh, so he calls out to a new commander, and he says, hey, lead my troops to the front. Once you've driven Hoshina through the barricade, we will construct our own barricade and secure our hole in the land that we seized. And Kakushi is immediately like, oh, my God, this is supposed to be an easy victory. But now it's turned into this like this this protracted battle. Uh, and Ichikawa is just like, this guy sucks. These he's, he's led us into this position because of his incompetence. Uh, and the plan has worked, so there is, you know, celebration as Tokyuki's troops all start to reunite. Uh, Kojiro arrives, and uh, the round-headed, square-headed guy uh, says, like, oh, that Kojiro, Kojiro guy is really amazing. He finished off Yonemaru. Hoshina says, do you have his head as proof? Because everyone in this group is crazy bloodthirsty, and also, you know, samurai age was a weird time. And uh, But they say, we left it. And Kojiro, sa- and Kojiro says, after all, he taught me a lot. Besides, you can't pay me a reward anyway after losing half your land. Smart, smart ass little kid. <laughs> and Hoshino's like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> but he says, you know, this is the first time I've felt so good about losing a battle. And as they get through the barricade, all of the other troops and people are there to greet them. And yeah, they've lost the battle but they've saved a lot of lives and so there's a lot of cheers among the crowd for both Hoshina and for Tokiyuki and they're like oh we're, we're so glad that you're safe and Hoshina says you know we lost some ground but everyone here is happy as if, as if they won those smiles are the fruits of fleeing and surviving and we get some narration that you know provides historical context saying that the Hoshinas did have to flee but over time they craftily overcame every crisis to survive until the Meiji era, era as warlords skilled in staying alive. Above all, they were important fighters for Tokiyuki as large-scale conflict grew nearer. Ooh. And there's a really cool little panel where all the four people that were fighting with Kojiro are ruffling his hair and yeah. embracing him. It's, it's very nice. Uh, and so it's time for everyone to part ways Hoshina and his troops send off uh, the elusive warriors and Hoshina says you know tell Myojin Sama that we owe our lives to the messenger and his party and we will treasure our lives whether we lose or flee we will dedicate ourselves to his goals and so Tokiki rides off and as he does so he says to Kojiro your deeds helped win him over so let's keep on doing this let's go and gather some more allies and let's find warriors who want to die and give them the desire to survive wasn't this a nice little story arc? Oh, this is a great chapter. Like, I love the way it all comes together. I love the celebration as they're all returning home with everybody kind of acknowledging, like, they lost ground. And, like, shouldn't it be a defeat? But everybody still remained happy there. And then 
like uh, the the historical quote unquote uh, follow up. I'd say it, it in quotes because I have no idea whether or not this is any historically accurate detail or not. But I do love it at least giving the context of like, hey, this is what kind of was very significant about this and yeah. how it played a role in history. And I love seeing those four groupers like ruffling, hanging around Kojiro, like presumably as characters we might see show up again in the future. Who well, that'd be nice if have, they all show up again and Kojiro just rattles off all their names because they're friends now. Yeah. yeah. Although I don't ever really want to get names for them. I want to always know them <laughs> as square face guy with circle features, uh, squinty face guy, whatever the hell you are. And guy with the uh, guy, not yeah, bald, bald, but has hair in the back of his head that he shaves yeah. or something yeah. like that. Um, yeah, this was a nice chat. This was a great story arc for building up Kojiro's character. Um, and, you know, letting you know that he's not just, you know, a guy who could kind of fight, who was part of Tokiki's forces. He was one of his first retainers, but giving him his own identity in the group. And hopefully we'll get the same treatment for Ayako soon, because she's definitely kind of the straggler in the group uh, in terms of her importance. We yeah. like that. That one chapter that Shizuku got, I think, did a lot for her. And Ayako is just... She's the big girl. I, that's, I, I'm, that's that's the thing I'm hoping for right now is we get some arc that kind of gives us a little focus on on Ayako next. I do understand now why uh, the two of them did not come along on this trip. It was to help us just have focus mm -hmm. on the troops that we did and to have focus on Kojiro as his own separate entity. I totally get that. But give that girl character some support. Yeah. Some, 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 some relevance please keep so. keep us on this this upwards momentum definitely very good chapter all right nick let's talk about fairy tale page 305 the vice captain the golden dawn we get the results of a black cover popularity contest and surprise noelle is first place she's the most popular character followed by asta and in third place naughty naughty nature boy rick flair isn't it amazing what happens when you give characters that have been around for a while some like focus and development and make them out as if they're important for, you know, an extended period of time? Yeah. Suddenly they're really popular. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe it also plays you don't give them pants. You know, people get popular that way, too. It's a different thing. I'm not. I'm choosing to look at it my way. Uh, <laughs> I guess I said fairy tale instead of black clover. Whatever. Well, you were talking about not having pants. I understand yeah. why you, yeah. uh, you made the Freudian slip. There was just like a, a like a mind bubble. Boop, boop, boop. <laughs> your your brain like auto finish, auto completed the thought. Yeah. It's like no pants. Fairy tale. Pants. <laughs> uh, so we pick up where, uh, you know, as called in Rosie and Jamal to give him three minutes, as we mentioned last week. Uh, and Finroll's like, ruh -roh, I got to handle this guy. And he's really good. So I don't know if it's going to be possible to buy three whole minutes, but I have to do it. So, uh, you know, basically it's like, hey, you're Clover Kingdom's strongest spatial mage. You're probably starting to see a way through this, right? And uh, by the way, it's, uh, it's Langris, not Finral. Oh, sorry. Langris. Sorry. Uh, Lang I forget which one's which. Langris is like. I already know what you can and cannot. Or sorry, I guess this is still you know. It's like, I already know what you can and cannot do. Uh, we, we see a little thought process from Langris who's saying, once inside Zeno, or I guess this is just actually a narrator in general, who's to say, once inside Xenon's absolute spatial space mana domination field, most people can't use magic at all. The only ones who are, are those who have an equivalent amount of mana. Those who are beloved by mana, by like, you know, 
and managed to free themselves. And spatial mages who have mastered mana zone. So we get just an explanation of he can basically use his magic by creating his own territory within Zeno's ultimate or absolute space. So you know, it's like, yeah, I knew you could do it. And now we get a little thought process of Langris being like, ever since, you know, joined the brigade, he's been this insolent and presumptuous asshole, but he's always had the skills to back it up. Looking back, I probably hated him because we were so similar. I just felt like I'd never lose. I thought there's no way somebody like you could surpass me. Uh, and then they had a bunch of, you know, we see a little bit of a fight going on. And he's like, oh man, this guy's man is too strong. He's definitely going to kill me. I don't know if I can last the full three minutes. And, uh, he continues his thought of like, yeah, my spatial magic was invincible. If I did my best, that was all it took. And my brigade was the strongest, but your strength was different. It was as if you were spurring us on with that wind, as if we were flying with you. Your strength wasn't self-centered. The way you hated losing inspired everyone and made us stronger. It's galling, but I admit it. You are the vice captain of the Golden Dawn. And I do like how he has the time to say this out loud as uh, he is. Man, I can't spare a second thought to think about (laughs) this. uh... I know you can sometimes uh, expand the idea of thought processes of synapses firing and every, you know, feelings being like that as having whole monologues. But I will also then utter at the end that this is a long thought process that I'm finishing the sentence of in this moment to establish that both of these things are happening in real time. And I am really not good at managing my priorities right now. <laughs> um, well, I mean, that's why he starts getting attacked. Uh, yeah. And it penetrates immediately. So. Yeah. That's probably why. Uh, Basically, uh, Langris just rushes forward to go punch him, saying, We belong to the ultimate brigade, the Golden Dawn. And, uh, you know, just interrupts by saying, I knew it. You hate losing more than anything, too. And he has made a bow, and he fires the bow. And that's the way the chapter ends. Yep. Yep. Don't care about, I don't care for this whole Langris is a good guy now thing. Uh, <laughs> I don't care for it. And I also don't buy his entire speech here of like, no, you were a different kind of strong. Your wind spurred us all to fight better. I was like, it's never really the impression I've gotten from, you know, he's, I think he does care about his guild, but he's never really felt like someone who particularly inspires others with his wind to let everyone fly along with them. I I think he's not quite that noble in, in, in intention per se. It's not really his personality type too. Yeah. Like he's always been kind of just like the, the stoic, what like I am determined to be the best I can be. Yeah. For reasons kind of thing. I think so. he does trust everyone in the golden dawn to be strong. Like I do believe he has a faith in his guild, but I just don't, see him as the wind beneath their literal wings in this case you know yeah um but it's mostly just the langris thing like i yeah. i read through this chapter multiple times and each time i just started to go cross-eyed during it just, uh, don't care for langris is a good guy i just don't buy into it <laughs> hey remember when he shot his own brother full of holes with this spatial magic <laughs> like a hero like- would do I know that stuff has happened since then. It's like, okay, no, no, he's on the good guy side, care, you know, and all that. But it's like, it's, 
it is a weird thing to turn him into this like oh but i wanted to be the best teammate <laughs> like there's a difference there uh yeah um i'll be happy when this part of the fight is done and we move on to the next one basically so. yeah i can see it all right, let's set let's set sail for One Piece, chapter one thousand twenty five, Twin Dragons. Uh, so Momonosuke was uh, adultified by Shinobu's power, and uh, so we saw him in his dragon form. It looks almost identical to Kaido's dragon form; it's just a different color. It's pink, and so Luffy's getting ready to fly him up onto Onigashima, and. Uh, they appear to be having tro- problems. So uh, Luffy keeps is shouting at Momonosuke. He's like, come on, just, just fly. And Momonosuke is like, no, no, uh, dragons can't learn fly. Uh, so the HM's not applicable to me. <laughs> uh, but he's like, I, I mean, I want to fly, but I, I, I just, I, do you know how high up I get just when I lift my head? He's still scared of heights. Oh, dear. Uh, so Luffy calls him out on this. And he's like, no, a warrior fears nothing. Uh, so they're arguing back and forth about this. And Luffy's like, come on, I gotta go fight Kaido. Uh, so we, but we cut from there to the aftermath of the quasi samurai showdown attack that uh, Yamato and Kaido engaged in, where they were both on either side of each other at the end of it with their clubs outstretched. But then Yamato declares mirror mountain and the image of him shatters and then he leaps out of the shattering image. Uh, so he's somehow protected himself from the attack with an ability of sorts. Uh, and so he uses the brief opening to come in on Kaido and starts wailing into him. He manages to knock him off his feet and force him actually down to his knees while propping himself up with his club. And while he's pushing himself up, Kaido just... He doesn't seem to really care about the attack he's just taking. He's just like, ah, look at you, acting like a soldier of Wano. But you can't escape your bloodline. You are still the son of Kaido. Do you really think any of the samurai here see you as a comrade, regardless of what cause you choose to bear on your shoulders? But Yamato says, that doesn't matter. But Kaido keeps on going and says, you've been alone on this island for years, hopping about the rocks, crawling through the attics, always alone and Yamato says that's not true I have friends I mean I did because he's thinking about Ace which is really sad it's like oh my god he made yeah like one friend in 20 years and then he died as soon as he left but uh, it's not just Ace as Kaido brings up there were those samurai in the cave and everyone who ever showed favor to you is dead dead and we get an extension of the flashback from before to where there were people who offered uh yamato food and like the blanket to keep warm and stuff and then they just got put to death immediately after that because they found out that they were sneaking out food for the ogre princess uh and this starts to wear yamato down as he gets beaten with kaido's club some more And Kaido declares that friendship is a sham. It's all for show. And deep down, they fear you. You must rule others with strength. You are the child of ogres. You are not meant to be friends with humans. That is your fate, Yamato. And uh, 
He looks very angry, actually. He's not super pleased at the moment. I, uh, it's true. The uh, way that he's just all cast in black. It's the most... Uh, he seems to have lost his composure that we've seen thus far. Meanwhile, I'm flying, Luffy! <laughs> this is such a weird, chaotic, silly sequence that unfolds. Momonosuke's flying, but he's still terrified of heights, so he's shutting his eyes as he flies. So they fly up to Onigashima, but Momonosuke can't see where he's going, and so they don't head for the roof. They head up into the floor and crash in, and then they crash... No, not the roof. They crash into the building, crash into the skull dome. Everyone looks up, and they're like, oh my god, another dragon. Then Momonosuke keeps on going. He goes up, goes through the second floor, interrupts another battle. And so we see, like, first Luffy and Sanji and King and Queen and everyone else. And then we see Kid and Law and, and Big Mom. And then they keep on going. They go up through the third floor. They, and it's just constantly, he keeps on going up. And then we cut away as Momonosuke is taking the elevator up through floor after floor. And Kaido just says... There's a lot of noise going on down there. It's probably Lin Lin making a mess of things. <laughs> Yamato is back in his human form now. And he's like, I'm not done yet. He gets to his feet and is getting ready to launch his next attack. But then Monosuke has just come up through the Skull Dome and he's in the air again. And uh, Luffy spots Kaido down on the on the roof. And this time... Momonosuke goes charging in directly for him with his eyes open. And Luffy prepares an attack. And as they charge forward, Luffy launches a gum gum jet culverin, whatever the hell that is. And Yamato launches his own attack, White Serpent. And the two of them, by happenstance, strike Kaido together and send him flying. And Yamato looks up and realizes that Luffy has arrived again. And Luffy's like, oh, hey. You were holding Kaido back for us. That's great. Thanks. Because he's a good friend like that. A culverin it, is a gun. Oh, well, like an, old, like an old cannon, basically. Luffy's a gun nut, I guess. Yeah. Kaido's angry, so he turns into his full dragon form and he stares down the Momonosuke dragon. And he's like, who is that? Who's that other dragon? And Yamato seems to realize who it is uh, even before Kaido does. Uh, Luffy is ready to go and he, he says to Kaido, nothing you do is going to kill me. I'm the man who will be the king of the pirates. And Momonosuke is scared and timid as usual. He stutters over his words, but eventually he says, my name is Kozuki Momonosuke, the man who will be Shogun of Wano. And Kaido says, the world doesn't need two dragons. And that's where we end our chapter. Uh, I believe that we're getting a break from One Piece next week. Yeah, One Piece is off next week. Which is a good, pretty good point to leave on a cliffhanger, I think. Uh, leaving us with our all the three people uh, staring down Kaido. And we'll see uh, how that battle unfolds. Yeah. All right. Uh, that's going to do it. I guess let's, uh, let's talk about chapters of the week. Yep. Favorite series and MVP. What do you say, Chris? Uh, so for chapter of the week for me, this is like a two dog fight between mm -hmm. uh, uh, Undead Unluck and Elusive Samurai. And 
I think I'm going to give it to uh, Undead Unlock. If only because, again, like, there's just so many little small touches in that chapter that I really, really like. And I don't know why, but it, every every single one that made me laugh. Or, like, smile. Like, it was just one of those chapters. Like, even as we described it for the recap, I was like, this is a fun fucking chapter. Yeah. Intense, and it's very emotionally fulfilling. Uh, I am going to basically echo you exactly. Uh, I just say, like, yeah, same sentiments on Undead Unluck. Really, really enjoyed it. I am going to give it the chapter of the week because I think that it's just, like, the best chapter it would be easier to give it my MVP because then it would give us fewer characters to choose from and mm. that would probably be more fitting. But I'm going to give my character of the week to uh, Hoshina from the Elusive Samurai because he's the one who has had the breakthrough on uh, why what they were trying to do was important. And it's really nice to see him, you know, come to this realization like, yeah, this was the right thing to do. You know, it was worth it to see everyone alive and happy. So. Yeah. I think I'm just going to continue it with Undead Unluck and do Top as my MVP. I do want to give some kind of credit to un- to the uh, Elusive Samurai, but it is just also a great Top moment. And uh, mm-hmm. oh, can I give it to a couple? Because I really want to see Top and, and Shikara just like, you know, I want to see what they vacation together like and things <laughs> like that. Like, I think they're just going to have a lot of fun together in life. I think that you're more likely to see them like, trade pokemon cards but okay (laughs) hey whatever whatever gets their goat going uh the audience by the way picked one piece as their chapter of the week and there was a tie for character of the week between top and chrome from uh dr stone it's good it was a good moment for chrome definitely yeah so so good stuff i understand why people like the one piece chapter i think that it was a bit weird that we just had like the little montage in place of like anything actually happening (laughs) but i'm sure that like if you were to see it play out in the context of like a longer sequence then it would be more satisfying to see but uh yeah yeah um that will do it then for the uh for the weekly manga recap we already been over what our uh lovely audience has said and uh, speaking wow, of which, the stuff that's fit to say out loud, they have some other thoughts, but those are not comfortable to say out loud in 2021. I'll say that. Or most other times. Uh, so <laughs> that is going to do it for Weekly Mug Recap. We want to thank you all for joining us for the live recording here at twitch.tv slash which we do roughly 730 Eastern time in the evening on Wednesdays. Uh, you can also check out our discord server where we will send out word on exactly when we're going to be starting the recording, or you can follow us on Twitter at Reloti at Nick F time at WMR podcast for the official podcast account. A tweet will be sent out when the show goes live. And if you join the discord server, you can also take part in uh, the wonderful community that we have. We have uh, rooms to discuss the chapters as they come out each week to discuss the series that we are working on for the recommendation and uh, you can also use that to find the Google Doc that's maintained by Ninja X3i, where you can make your own recommendations for a series for us to read, as well as check out previous recommendations, check out the MVP and favorite series voting, and all sorts of very helpful information. We also also like to extend special thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon. That's mm-hmm. patreon.com slash recap, which you can check out for all sorts of fun bonus content that we love bringing to you guys, including Chris's monthly other recap, the series yes. that are in Weekly Shonen Jump that we don't talk about every single week on the show. Uh, but he reads all of them because yes. um, 
I guess he's got more tolerance for Ayakashi Triangle than I do at this point because it's actually point, it's, it's, it's too it's, much trouble for me to bother logging in to do it. So <laughs> that is a true point. It's getting into a serious plot point again. Uh, you could tell because they brought back the villain from that same thing, so he could be involved in this one again. What the mouth guy? Yeah. Of course, he was too. He was too effective a villain. <laughs> well, now they, then they have a sexy lady to be with them, so you know it still works out. We gotta balance it out, you know. Um, uh, so, uh, patrons, we'd also like to send special thanks to uh, Winslow Cheddar and Milo Jack Stillitz, who create the opening sequence for the video versions of the show that you can check on our YouTube channel. You can also listen to the show on. WeeklyBankaRecap.Podbean.com, as well as on iTunes and Spotify and generally anywhere that podcasts can be listened to. And you can also, we'd also like to spend uh, a thanks to the person who does our occasional YouTube thumbnails, that being Steve Mann. You can check out his work wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn on the internet, including at uh, Steve Mann Art on Twitter. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. That's let's it. let's so, get out of here. We're done. We've wrapped it up. No one could no one could stop us now. Uh right, like the um chapter we covered today. I was thinking the song. Nothing's gonna stop us now. I was gonna say which one. We still have each other. Nick, come on, harmonize with me. Nothing's hey, gonna no, stop, stop me. Oh, no. That's another good one. That's a great one. <laughs> you can't run for me. No stopping. You can't run. Hey. All right, bye.